0: You are Jim. All the upgrades, and now we're going into Chapter Eight of Finding Bagpipe Freedom.
1: Yeah, Chapter Eight. This is where it gets real good. You might call it does. this the, the meeting of the waters. Oh, excuse the, me, the meeting of the dimensions. That's what it the, is here. The
0: meeting of the dimensions. It's where the rubber hits the road, Jim.
1: Yeah, here, here we got rubber and road meeting for the first time.
0: I think that what's interesting about this is there's a there's going to have to be a moment. I haven't figured it out yet. Maybe someone. Maybe a Joe Brady or someone of equivalent genius will call me someday and help me solve this equation. But really, at some point, mathematically, the rubber's going to have to hit the road, right?
1: In here, you say, let's see, how do you put it? You say, even though we haven't even discussed expression or embellishments at all yet, each player makes it to this stage already, excuse me, each player that makes it to this stage is already showing incredible confidence because they're actually beginning to control what's mm. going on with their bagpipe. And that means this phase that we're in right now, and to me, that's, this is maybe a little bit of that, here's a, a breadcrumb of what is possible to keep you going. If yeah. this is feeling like a, really, like a really tedious kind of process, like just recognizing that, isn't that a great feeling that you have at least some measure of control when it comes to the bagpipes? Yes, you know? it is. I think so. the bagpipes control us. By default, there's such a difficult thing to play. So when you feel like you yeah. actually do know what's going on, at least to some degree, that can be so encouraging.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Jim, do you own your house?
1: No. You don't? Okay. So
0: we uh, someday, Jim, when you grow so up. I'm working that direction, <laughs> slowly <yeah>. but surely. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess technically I don't own my house either. I have a mortgage. but okay. that's what I meant. I have
1: a mortgage as well. Yeah.
0: But, like, one of the amazing things about buying a house is the feeling that it's yours and it's very different than renting right it's like uh, when you rent you're you're more or less you're not really in control of the situation you have a lease that protects you for your lease term and whatever and blah 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 but it's man once it's yours it's a really interesting feeling and by the way it's this very similar feeling like oh i could do whatever i want here like i'm in Mm -hmm. control i'm in the driver's seat the possibilities are infinite and endless. Definitely and it's what the got same. Me
1: most excited about getting our house after we left the last apartment we were in was like, I can hang whatever I want on whatever wall I want. I can yeah. paint it whatever color I want. That was the, very yeah, exciting.
0: Absolutely. And so it's, it, it reminds me of a similar thing. Just going back to the capitalism analogy, right? It's we've built real skill capital here, right? Mm. It's, we have some rhythmic accuracy. And by the way, when, and when we don't have it, we have a plan to get it which is really important as well. Like a lot of pipers wouldn't even have a plan. It's like, oh, uh, this is all over the place. Where do I even begin? Somebody uh, that has this process would know. It's like, oh, this is a hot mess. Cool. Let's boil it down to the rhythm Mm -hmm. uh, and let's build it back up again. So not only do you have more skill, but you also have a plan that you have experience with, that you have confidence with, that allows you to build back up through it. And that's capital, right? That is a tool that you can use to apply to future situations. Right? And it takes a little bit longer to acquire capital, but the but the magnification effects are very high with it.
1: This makes me think of when we were talking with Ed Best, and he pointed out that achieving drumming freedom, by the same ideas, right? Same idea. It, it's like, you're not just learning a tune, you are building capital in terms That's of right. the skills that you have. And so they're going to be applicable to everything else you ever do. Yeah, there's like two reasons...
0: There's two reasons to learn any tune. And by the way, for drummers, there's two reasons to learn a drum score. Number one, that you like the tune Mm. and it'll be fun to play. That's the reason most people focus on. But the second reason to learn a tune is way more important and in the long run, far more rewarding, which is the reason you learn a new tune is to improve yourself as a player. And you're going to build, and so to the, so I cut you off, Jim, but. You're, the, point you, the point that Ed made was every time you learn a drum score, you're getting better at your mm-hmm. skills, right? And that makes you better. That gives you that experience. And you have more experience putting the fundamentals to the test, right?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Yes. And it, and it seems like this is maybe something that's very important to remind ourselves of as we're going through this process. Because I think it can feel, it can, and that, this isn't a dig on the book. This is human condition, the way that our brains work it can maybe feel like we're chasing bagpipe freedom and we're going to get there someday. And until then, we're not going to get to reap any of the rewards for our hard work, right? And that's part of what makes it seem like it's taking forever. When am I going to get to where this is nice? So if we pause for a minute and think, look, in phase one, it was rhythmic accuracy. In phase two, it was scale navigation. In three, it was instrument skills, right? And it's not necessarily that we are now perfect at these things, but we definitely have more capital in these areas right now today than we did a week ago. Exactly. And we can spend that capital today while building more skill capital. We can have more fun playing the bagpipes right away. It's not you get to the end of the process and then you have fun. We can have fun yeah. while we're building more. Exactly. It's like you can build a you can build a an
0: outdoor fire pit, then you can dig a well. Right. And so those are two pieces of capital that you've built. But then now that you have both, what can you build that utilizes uh, now that you have both of those? For example, Mm -hmm. now you could probably boil water because you have the water from the well. And now, and then you have the fire pit, right? Oh, except for we probably need like a cast iron pot, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe you have the ability to make cast iron pot, or maybe you could buy one. But now you have these pieces of capital. These are assets. These are things you can use. Right. Mm. And you can combine them in all sorts of interesting and fascinating ways. Like Mm. what is an embellishment? An embellishment is a combination of the prerequisite pieces of skill capital, right? Embellishments, Mm. obviously embellishments have a rhythmic component. Embellishments have melody components, especially the um, ones where you switch melody notes during the embellishment itself. You're going to have to have control over that. And obviously it's going to require some, a lot of grace note skill as well. I'm thinking about a good old bubbly note or something like that. It's like, Mm -hmm. where does that come from? It comes from the prerequisite skills and then you can combine it in cool, new, interesting ways.
1: Right. I I don't know if the devil's in the kitchen is the same version that everybody plays, but I feel like that's, I feel like there are bubbly notes in that tune. And so when you said, where did the bubbly notes come from? i Free association (laughs) happened in my brain. I was like, it comes from the devil in the kitchen. Yeah, it comes from the kitchen, kitchen, bro. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. I just, I get excited by that idea and just thinking like, you know, in in the meantime, don't get discouraged. You're already having more fun and feeling more confident and stuff like that. And let's keep that momentum rolling.
0: The discouragement you feel is just ego pain. That's That's my experience.
1: Right? That's probably good. It's probably good yeah. for our egos to
0: feel some pain. It's like, oh man, like I I I wanted to be I wanted to be better than I currently am. Like that's mm. where the frustration comes from. It does not come from your inability to do it. Right. Yeah. That's it's, that's it's like,
1: a deep cut there, Andrew. That kind yeah. of hurts a little bit actually to realize, you no, know, that's actually probably the motivator behind yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. And
0: ninety nine percent of the time. The true problem lays way back in the foundations, something that you've skipped or overlooked. And then it's Mm. painful on the ego to double back. You know what I'm saying? What's the real reason you can't tune? Is it because you can't hear it or because you're not willing to do the steps? It's like you haven't learned to blow steadily. So it doesn't matter how hard you try to tune. It's not gonna work. You're gonna have to grab onto some patience. You're gonna have to set that ego aside at least in private, you don't have to do it publicly. You got to set that ego aside and you got to be like, all right, let's think about blowing steadily here a little bit and fix some Mm -hmm. of these issues. It's like, oh, what? like, what do you know? Every time I transition from blowing to squeezing, I have a giant surge. If that happens, if I don't fix that, then how am I ever going to tune myself? Aha, okay. Or it's like, man, every time I try to blow steadily, I have a giant surge between squeezing and blowing. Uh, What's up with that? You know what, before I do too much work on that, I better check if my bag is holding air. Oh, my bag is leaking like a sieve. How the heck are you supposed to blow steadily if your bag's leaking air? So now we have, how am I supposed to tune if I can't blow steadily? How can I blow steadily if my bagpipe doesn't hold air? And so, you know, 99 times out of 100, the real issue, the root cause is down lower. And then it's, how am I supposed to habitually keep my bag airtight if I don't, if I'm not excited about bagpiping? So it could go even a layer Mm. deeper. It's like, man, I'm not even really listening to bagpipe music. I'm not actually even getting fired up about this. So maybe that's the true root of the problem. Hmm. Or I can't keep my bag airtight because I only play once every three weeks because I don't have a daily practice ritual in place. So anyway, the thing that hurts about it is in my experience, all, it's all ego-based. When are you going to find time to do work? And by the way, it doesn't have to be a lot, but we have to find time to do a little bit of work Mm. On a fairly daily basis,
1: Mm. yeah, it it makes a lot of sense for my personal experience that like a big part of it, if I'm honest with myself, is I don't want. It's not that I. It's not necessarily that I don't want to be, in my feeling, going back to these fundamentals. It's that I don't want to acknowledge that I need to go back. Mm. I want to already have these things mastered, and acknowledging that they're so not mastered. That definitely, that's definitely kicking my ego in the pants. Yes, for sure. Exactly. Now, like I'm sort of blessed
0: in the bagpipe realm. I got through all of this when I was too young to realize that it should be difficult. And therefore I think it probably happened really fast, but like other areas of my life, I'm, it's, I'm pathetic business or my personal fitness or these other things that I enjoy. It's painful. It's like the problems I'm having right now are going to require a deep look into my soul.
1: Yeah we to have to and face our demons. It's scary yeah. to look.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, wait a minute.
1: Now, Andrew, speaking of business, it seems, I don't know if, if this is still a thing, but it seems like at least a few years ago, everybody was going back to school to get their MBA. Yeah. But that's not the kind of MBA we're talking about when it comes to bagpipe freedom. No. So we, we mentioned a little bit at the top of the episode, but I wonder if this is a, a reasonable time to drill in a little bit. Well, there are two things that kind of work together here. I want to talk a little bit about the blowing at the the optimal pressure this yeah that should come first that comes first logically yeah Yeah. so that what what's going on there if you can tell me a little bit about that
0: yeah so with any read at least any double read i don't have much experience with other kinds of reads but anyway with the bagpipe read jim uh there's a range of possible pressures you could play and by the way the the practice chanter illustrates this uh perfectly well if not more clear right so Here's one of the possible pressures I could play. <laughs> right? So that's one possible pressure I could play, it's right? Technically, you're playing, so yep. I guess so. <laughs> there it is, right? There, you, you can't possibly criticize that. That was beautiful. And then here's another possible pre- uh, pressure. <laughs> sort of play there Mm -hmm. but something's going on there i'm not sure what that is i'm am i blowing so hard that my chanter is like literally cutting out and making all sorts of messed up sounds
1: yeah that's not my subpar internet listening audience that was produced by andrew at the point of the chanter yeah exactly
0: that was not the internet fading out on us not today jim not got the internet sorted (laughs) i just have one thing i like to say to the internet not today There's one thing we say. There's one thing we say to death. What is that?
1: What it was? What? What is that? I don't. I like it. It's from. It's
0: from Arya Stark's training with the with the swordsman, the first sword of Bravos. There.
1: What's his face? Man, Arya Stark. Game of Thrones. Oh, I'm sitting here trying to think how, who is Aria to Tony Stark? I'm sitting here being like, oh. I didn't know, I, I didn't realize I was that yeah. out of touch yeah. with the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Oh, okay. Gotcha.
0: Yeah. Okay. I'm sure Game <laughs> of Thrones will be joining the Marvel Universe soon enough. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what were we talking about? Ah, uh, yes. The two examples I just gave you on the practice channel one was me blowing at basically the lowest viable pressure. Mm-hmm. And then the next pressure was the highest. And it wasn't even really viable, was it? But at a very high pressure. That illustrates, yeah, there's a range of possible pressures that you can play your reed at. Mm -hmm. Okay? And you can't just do whatever you want. Reason being, did you hear what it
1: sounded like when I just blew at the low end? Probably none of us wants to sound that way. That's right.
0: One of the important things that every bagpiper must do... Is identify what pressure their read sounds the best at. Not reasonable to ask someone to blow steadily, unless you tell them what the pressure is
1: first. Yes, and then you can tell people to blow steadily. Right. This this it seems it sounds so sensible and so simple. It is. I say it this way, Andrew. It's just but, basic logic. Yes. But the thing is, at least I have spent many years describing to people. That they need to blow steadily. Yeah, blow steady, you with, idiot. With without giving them that uh, target point. Yes, and saying, exactly. Blow steadily right. this hard. And shoot that your arrow, so hey Jim. Shoot your arrow accurately, okay. Totally, that is hey, exactly how ludicrous it is. Yeah.
0: Jim, you idiot. Just be accurate. <laughs> be accurate with your archery, okay. Right, right. Just be accurate, okay. So, wait a minute. There's an important piece of information there. There needs to be. A target, like a target is a prerequisite to accuracy, is it not?
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: It is, right? So blowing steadily is impossible unless you have a target, Yeah, all right? And so what is the target when we play the pipes? And the target is the sweet spot. And in the book, we get into more details about exactly how to find it. But let's just say of all the possible pressures, you wanna find what pressure is the best, which by the way, the, the way I find it, the, my definition of the sweet spot is it's actually the maximum amount of pressure you can apply to your chanter reed. Mm. Okay, that's the sweet spot. Now, there's a little asterisk there because once you go past a certain point, your reed starts to make sounds that are suboptimal, unpredictable, kind of crappy, right? right? But the thought process for me is anytime I play any bagpipe, whether it's my own or someone else's or whatever, I'm always blowing that reed as hard as I possibly can And I'm testing the top end of the pressure, right? I'm always pushing that top end to to the point where it'll get to the point where it starts to sound a little overloaded and distorted. And that's how I know I've hit the ceiling and I just probably want to dial it back a tiny smidge. And then that's my point. And then I'm going to, that's where I'm going to blow steady moving forward. That's the sweet spot. That's where the chanter sounds the sweetest. It's where it's the most stable. And that's the target we need to learn to
1: hit. So to be super duper clear, in case it's not clear, we're not necessarily saying here that a person should be blowing as as, like the high, the maximum pressure possible for their physical body to apply to the reed. It's the maximum physically possible point for the reed to receive without going beyond sounding ideal. So if it starts getting into Squeaksville, then you got to back up a little bit.
0: Yep. And the the interesting thing about the sweet spot is it, it never stays the same.
1: Right? and that's the truth
0: <laughs> so it's not going to stay the same so for every different chanter read the uh, sweet spot will be different
1: not to mention but, over the course of each yeah. reed's life it'll change too yeah
0: but wait there's more as the read changes over time the sweet spot might change during your playing session the sweet spot almost certainly changes because yeah. during the beginning it's like dry and cold and not warmed up and then as you introduce moisture and warmth into the read. The sweet spot will probably change as you play and so on. It's Mm. a feel, it's a feeling that you have to develop as you play. You learn to feel what the sweet spot's going to be. And again, there's unconscious competence again. We kind of want to get to the point where we can feel that we're blowing our chanter read at the sweetest possible point. And that's what we're going to go for. (laughs) And I feel like there was even still more. Oh yeah. And then the weather, like the weather outside will Mm. change, right? So the sweet spot is something that's going to change as you go. So- First thing we want to do is understand how to find it, how to find that sweet spot. And then we want to learn how to maintain it over time.
1: Yeah. It, it feels like a good and important thing to to point out that the that spot's going to change. So there's some value in being like, like you say, you, got, you want to get to the point where you can feel it. So it's like, like you mentioned earlier, you don't want to make a habit out of doing things wrong because then you have to unlearn stuff later. But at the same time, there is a big element of like, you got to do this stuff a lot so you can develop a sense for what's going on and try to keep the improvements in mind, but also play your bagpipes every single day. That's still a really big deal. Even if you don't 100% know what you're doing, that's a big part of getting to where you can sense, you can feel where your reads are at, what your bag is doing, all these kinds of things. You're not going to get a feel for it if you don't do it a lot. Exactly.
0: And I can also tell you just like everyone, if you don't know for sure that you're playing with rhythmic accuracy, I will tell you that there's a 99 point. Like I'll tell you that you're playing ahead of the beat, right? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me you play ahead of the beat without telling me you play out of the beat, but you either know that you're rhythmically there or you're ahead of the beat. Uh, same with the chanter read. So unless you know, you're at the sweet spot, you're drastically below. Like, I can Mm. just give you that as a hint out of the gate. So anyway, let's move on to the next topic. What else? So we got that. The other thing is we talked, and we don't have to go into that in depth today because we've talked about it in fairly recent episodes of the podcast, but just the art of tuning your drones to the chanter itself. That's one of the skills that's in there. Which, by the way, you don't want to do that before you've identified the sweet spot either. So the sweet spot is the first thing once you introduce the chanter. That's the first thing we want to concern ourselves with because logically... It's a prerequisite to to the things that come next. Yeah. So we want to tune the drone to the chanter, but if we don't know what pressure we're going to blow the chanter at, then it's going to be hard to be in tune, right? But anyway, you can use the blow trick, you can use trial and error, whatever you need to do, but practicing getting one drone in tune with the chanter is a key element there. And then the next thing you wanted to talk about, Jim, was the third thing, which is the, the MBAs. All the yes. rage right
1: now. Everyone's yes. doing it. What is that? Masters of... Business administration? Is that what yeah, mas-
0: master mastery of blowing administration.
1: That's the that's that's it. Yeah, that's the one. Mental blowing anomalies. Yeah, what? No, the air doesn't come from my brain. What are you saying, Andrew Douglas? Yes, that's ridiculous.
0: Uh huh. A physical blowing anomaly are those are quite we we know about those, right? That's when you're you blow in, you transition to the squeeze, and then there's some sort of pressure problem during the physical blowing cycle. Mm-hmm. It would be cool if that's all that it was, but that's not all that it is. And by the way, this happens all the time. For example, do you ever find yourself doing a complicated task in normal life and holding your breath? Does that oh, ever for happen? Oh, sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It happens absolutely.
0: all the time, right? Subconsciously, we have little mental ticks that cause our standard ongoing procedures. They cause hiccups in our standard ongoing procedures. Mm-hmm. Or walking and chewing bubblegum at the same time. That's like the, or pat, rubbing, patting your head and rubbing your tummy, which yeah, interestingly, yeah. I don't have that much of a problem doing. Oh, it's harder nope. with these hands. No, nope, but like once, yeah. you, but anyway, yeah, you but like breathing is something that we do all the time, right? But like sometimes something complicated happens where, where you hold your breath or it sometimes can be a really stressful part in a movie or something and you hold your breath or something oh, like that. Sure. Yeah, But anyway, bagpiping is the same way. So we're on the bagpipes, we're operating this thing and we're blowing and squeezing and we're attempting to do steadily. And we might even be able to do that. Okay. But what tends to happen is our finger work causes those functions to short circuit. Mm-hmm. It happens all the time, right? So the, the most common example is when a beginner goes up and plays high A, right? Yes. Nine times I mean, out of 10, when a beginner goes up and plays exactly. high A, for some reason, and I actually think it's because the death grip that we have on the chanter, we're suddenly forced to let go of it. And I think it causes like, oh, a yeah, that oh, makes sense. I think it causes an oh crap, knee jerk, falling off a
1: cliff feeling. That, make, uh, that makes sense. I think there's, there's also the, the possibility that for me personally, I played other wind instruments before playing the bagpipes. Yeah. And so if anybody else is in that boat too, of course, the higher you get, the harder you blow. That's that's part of the rules. So you're going to play trumpet, you're going to play oboe, maybe. whatever you're going to play, you got to blow harder to get higher. That sure. That probably contributes to it as well.
0: Yeah. It, well, and maybe it does happen a little bit on high G. Whatever. It doesn't really matter because we, we have these arguments all the time. This is what cool cerebral bagpipers do, man. We love having these conversations. It's, there's it's, also it's, the fallacy... We're the cool ones. <laughs> there's also the fallacy that the high A
1: takes more air than other notes, which, by the way... By the way, I just want to pause for a minute and acknowledge that I don't know about Matt McIsaac and and Lincoln Hilton. I don't think the two of them are sitting somewhere right now. Discuss, they're probably off playing their bagpipes. I know. You and
0: I, man, we're the cool ones. <laughs> exactly. Those who can't do teach and those who can't teach uh, have podcast. podcast talking about <laughs> bagpipes. Yeah, exactly. That's
1: about right. Yeah. Uh huh. Story of my life. Sorry. I totally, I totally threw you off there. What were you even talking about? For sake of the joke. Ah, We were Uh, talking about the... would finger work affect my blowing. We're
0: talking about, uh, I was talking about the fallacy that the high A takes more air than other notes. Oh yeah.
1: I've heard that the D takes more air than other notes. Yeah. And the
0: truth of the matter is the reason it's a fallacy is not because it's definitely wrong. It's possible that these notes might take more air than others. But the reason it's Mm. a fallacy is because We only have one option as bagpipers, and that is to achieve a steadiness of blowing. It Mm. doesn't matter if the high A takes more air or not. We need to achieve a steadiness of blowing. And that is not going to, that is never going to be achieved by attempting to blow harder or softer when certain notes come up in the tune that you're playing, right? It's just not a thing.
1: Especially the faster the tune gets. Just what an impossible thing.
0: Yes. And then the high, if the high A takes more air, wouldn't you want to blow harder on it? And not yeah. less. There's a problem there. Because uh, right now the problem is radical surging on the high A. So it's not the fact that the high A takes more air that's causing that problem logically, I don't think. Mm. So anyway, uh, it's a mental blowing anomaly. It's something your body is doing as a result of playing that note. Okay? Mm. And it's very common. And we need to learn to not do it. We need to learn to quiet the mind, so to speak, Jim. Uh, yes. And, and yeah. not change our blowing as a result of things that our, fi- that our fingers might be doing. The other thing that tends to happen a lot is you get to the end of the part of Green Hills and you have that nice long low A after some complicated finger work. And then people tend to take a mental vacation on those notes and they let the pressure pressure sag off on the long notes, which we don't want that either. And then we have bad blowing on D. I'm not sure D takes more or less air than others, but I definitely feel like it's more sensitive. It's less stable. So Mm. it's more sensitive to changes in blowing than other notes. And it's also... the interval is probably, possibly more difficult to tune than other intervals as well. Mm. So there's a lot of stuff going on there that, that might cause the D to be difficult to control blowing-wise.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's interesting, because I, I do feel like I feel like I tend to overblow the D in the same way that I tend to overblow the A, but maybe there are a couple things going on there mm-hmm. that, that are having that effect. Yes. I like that you mentioned that we need to quiet our mind. because Quiet it, it the mind, been... Jim.
0: It's been stressing me more. Just like me, dude, just like me. Don't, when you look at me, don't you think, oh, that guy's mind is quiet?
1: Yeah, that, that guy's got his shiz together. That's what That I guy's think got myself. a quiet mind. Yeah. Not to be confused with a dull mind. Um, or? <laughs> or a sharp mind? Sharp mind. I I can't think of the Johnny Cash song that the hardest thing in the world to find is a man with a satisfied mind. I, wow. I've got Johnny Cash's living I, in my brain rent free all the time.
0: There it is. I don't have that. You got. I love yeah. Lucy, and you got Johnny Cash. Yeah. I'm I I like me some Johnny Cash, but like in small quantities is that's fine.
1: A lot of old musicals too, Andrew. In so many ways, Ooh. my brain belongs in a uh, bygone era in mostly very cheesy, campy ways, actually. I, think Since I feel like the
0: canon of musicals is similar to the Bible in the sense that it contains like all of ancient human knowledge acquired over hundreds of years. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Phantom absolutely. of the Opera.
1: Cats and then Les is that's the that's like the the most important book in the canon, of course
0: I feel like Les um, is I, f- I feel like is got a little
1: cocky that's what I think they overdid
0: the it ones, they but... a musical should only do so much
1: <laughs> How about the power to move you
0: there it is oh, T-
1: tenacious D is another one of the artists who's always in my brain <laughs> yes, it's a fun salad there but you go what what I wanted to qu- I wanted to say a thing about bagpipes still, and now I can't remember what it was. Uh, It was that, um... oh yeah, quieting your mind. Quiet your mind, Jim. I I was reading through this section for the third or fourth time now, and it struck me more than ever before how interesting it is that, at least to me, and feel free to tell me I'm wrong about this, Andrew, but the more I think about it, the more it seems like this interesting thing where it's like you start with like this everything mushed together craziness going on with bagpiping, right? Where it's like, You got your blowing and your squeezing and your finger work and everything all in there. And the whole goal of this process is to pull that apart and take one piece at a time and focus on it Mm -hmm. and then put it back together. But in an interesting way, the best way to put some of these things together is a kind of maintained separateness. It's like separateness becomes togetherness in a way. And what Mm -hmm. I mean by that is that your blowing should be unaffected by your finger work. Yes. And in that way, the two things are very separate from each other in different tracks in your brain. Yep. But by being so separate, they can work together so much better than totally. when it was all a mess before. It's like separation of duties. Yeah, exactly.
0: This corner of my brain has this job. and This corner of my brain has this job. And by the way, I should be able to leave and go somewhere else in my brain. And i still be humming. And I come back and nothing has changed in any of these yeah, corners. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they haven't gotten together and to sabotage each other while I'm gone. Yeah, exactly.
1: Isn't that part of what's amazing about watching really good bagpipers, though, like your, your Lincoln Hilton's and your Stuart Littles and, and all the people who we talk about all the time and so many others, too, that when you're watching or listening without watching the rock steadiness of that drone tone. And then if you can also watch the fingers or be thinking about what the fingers are doing and just how crisp and clean and fast they're moving. I love Lincoln Hilton's fingers to me more than anyone else's look like mechanical pistons the way that yeah. they move. sure. So but don't be fooled. Every fooled. Little movement. Yeah.
0: So Stuart is the perfect example of that, is a perfect example of that. His fingers distract you from a large portion of the truth because Stuart's got his fingers and they do all all sorts of great things and we love it. It's (laughs) great. We love it. Stuart's fingers is just amazing. But it hides a large portion of the truth, Mm. right? If you force yourself to ignore his obnoxious finger work skill, right? And just listen to his bagpipe. And then you, 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 what you realize is it is, uh, he's a literal steady blowing machine. Yeah, yeah. And he's like an elite He's an elite operator of the instrument. It's, his fingers mm-hmm. are only a small, or are only a partial, we won't say small, but only a partial piece of that puzzle. The Isn't other piece of the puzzle is the bagpipe is bloody perfect all the time. It's blown oh, perfectly surely. steady, right? It's blown perfectly steady, which allows it to be perfectly tuned. Yeah. So his blowing and his tuning are always immaculate and his sound. And then the finger work stuff happens on top of it. He's in control of all of it. He's, Stuart is bagpipe freedom to a T. And it doesn't even he, matter if- He was if free it,
1: before it was cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there are, there are many others like that. And yeah. then there are some people where you have to wonder. It's like, okay, well, this person has an amazing bagpipe and amazing fingers. And by most of the objective measures, they're difficult to criticize. However, you don't really feel- you don't really feel much when you hear mm. them play and you're like, hmm. I wonder, I wonder, there must be something in there that's prohibiting them from getting to that true point where you feel like they're really expressing themselves, even though objectively they're monsters. But then sure, you're like, yeah. but yeah. then you're like, hmm. uh, a good litmus test for that would be like, just picture in your mind, five pipers you'd love to just go on iTunes right now and listen to. And then the people who aren't in that top five, like, why not? It's usually not because they're out of tune or because they have crossing noises. That's not
1: it. There's something else missing. Yeah, yeah. So there can be a lot yeah. of proficiency, but there's something about art or something there. Yep. There might be a negative consequence of the competition system
0: or, uh, or just the rigid, or maybe the rigidness of bagpipers or maybe like the military background. Who knows? But mm-hmm. a lot of players achieve an incredible proficiency But when you ask the question why, you can't find the answer, right? When you ask the question why about Stuart Little, in my opinion, you ask the question like why, there's an easy answer there. It's like, why? Because holy crap, just listen to it. It's amazing. Mm. And I've never heard anything like it before. And there's other players like it, right? So you're taking on these skills. They have these objectively amazing skills, but then it inverts at the top, right? So skill, 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 skill. And then once you at a certain point, now the Mm. possibilities are literally endless. Yeah. No one uh, dreams of having your s- skills be literally finite. Yeah. Like, that's, like man, I just, oh, I'm so glad I work so hard. Now the possibilities are definitively finite. Right. It's that's not, not, not it. That's not the dream, we man. That's not the dream. are endless. Not, yeah. yeah.
1: Now it does occur to me, Andrew, that the, a lot of the stuff that gets talked about in this phase, as well as the phases building up to it, rightly so, might include some like somewhat tedious or monotonous tasks to be done. But, There's maybe a risk of us as students of the method getting a little too, if I'm thinking to myself, oh, I'm going to focus on my manometer that I just hung up, then I'm not going, I'm just going to play the one tune that I've already got down perfectly well. And I might go three, four weeks just playing only that tune, thinking about these things. Yes, exactly. So you do mention here toward the end of this section, you say, I do want to reiterate that the true test of these skills is to be able to realize all eight of the active skills with relatively fresh or unknown material.
0: Yeah. Amen. My and brother. I,
1: I have had entire years go by where the only tunes that I learned that year were the three or four that I needed for a new competition medley. Yes. And I feel like that's okay because some of us will at times will be in a phase of life where, School, work, kids, other hobbies, whatever. That's what we got bandwidth for. And I'd say, that's better than nothing. So celebrate that. Barely. For me personally, that was not the situation. The situation was I got lazy. I got comfortable. There was something where I just, I stopped opening music books, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, how do I keep that alive while also working on these kind of like somewhat, like to some degree repetition is necessary here. So how do I do the repetition of the skill while also keeping my variety move in.
0: I, I think you just want to maximize the amount that you're doing that you're doing new interesting things and by the way interesting that, that can be dangerous as well sometimes it's important to do things sometimes it's important to work on a tune that maybe isn't your favorite
1: mm-hmm.
0: because maybe it isn't your favorite for a subconsciously telling reason but yeah we want to keep that variance going we don't want to just stand there and stare at the manometer playing skyboat song your entire life it's not going to work and then what you're going to find is even though you mastered skyboat song, there's things about other tunes that are going to throw major monkey wrenches in this. It's the same reason you could get really good at dribbling side to side and between the legs, doing the dribbling drills and dribbling around the cones. And then you play a basketball game and your defender just steals the ball from you every time and goes and scores. Your defender's
1: not standing still like a cone, like they're supposed to.
0: (laughs) Exactly, right? Dribbling drills are important, yes, but only as part of a a healthy diet of all the other activities. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I think that's the big thing. You're in phase four, you've got eight things that you're trying to juggle at one time now. So how are we going to break stuff down and work on it? I recommend a regimen where you're regularly, you know, working on these skills in an isolated situation, right? So always take the tune you're playing and practice the rhythm first, always. It only has to take a minute or two. So it's like, Hey, today I'm looking at a fresh new tune. But before I look at the notes, I'm going to look at the rhythms. So let's just make sure I have a plan. Let's make sure my accuracy is good today. Just take five minutes and do that. But maybe you do that Monday, but maybe on Tuesday you're doing something else. You're just practicing doing reps, tuning two drones together. And maybe some days you're you're playing at the sweet spot and trying to maintain it. Maybe some days you're looking at a manometer. Maybe some days you're just not purposely not looking at it and just working on your sort of basic intuition. Maybe some days you're comparing your basic mm. intuition to the facts like you could do a blind manometer recording where the recorder picks up the manometer but you're not looking at it and then you could be like aha okay so habitually i'm underblowing when i'm not looking at the manometer i'm underblowing so that means in general when i'm playing i need just working on it and then never that would the be same tune yet to cross. yeah weird. and then never the same tune never the same tune for too long don't you can't play your two far march exclusively for 492 days, right? That's gonna make you worse. It's not even gonna keep you at the same level. You're gonna go back off the back of the plateau there. Yeah. It's like if you only ever played basketball against the same opponent.
1: And Yeah, especially if the opponent was like a robot that only did the same four moves mm-hmm. the whole time. Yep. I have great respect and envy uh, for people who are very skilled sight readers of music. Yeah. But I watched it happen with my closest friend and good bagpiping buddy from the beginning where he just got to the point where this is what he was doing all day, every day. He was just going through music books from the cover on the front to the cover in the back. Right. And at first it took him two days per tune. Yeah. By the end, he could bust through 12 new tunes in a sitting and you can know, you be, What it. about
0: by ear though? Like, so let's flip the script, like how well do yeah. you learn tunes by ear. If you spend all your time mastering sight reading, maybe you'll develop some proficiency, but then yeah. there's some people who can just pick up a tune by ear. And I am proud to say, not really that proud, but like, you know, I can do both pretty easily, pretty fast. So memorization yeah. is kind of in that category too. Oh, you're a great player, but it takes you four months to memorize each tune. I'm a slightly yeah. less I'm a slightly less great player, but I've got 47 tunes I can play by memory. Which position would you rather be in? And there's trade-offs. Maybe all you yeah, care about right, is the yeah. blue ribbon. If all you care about is blue ribbon, then you only have to memorize a couple tunes per year and play them mm-hmm. really well, even though that's not actually probably true in the long run, right? Whereas uh, you know, you can whereas do if six, you're a Kaylee Piper, and rotate them. yeah. Whereas if you're a Kaylee Piper and you only know three tunes, they'll probably laugh you off the stage. It's, hey, yeah, we've heard quick. that. We've heard your 2-4 March 47 times already. Play us something yeah. new, bro. Yeah. Uh, and, and the thing is, we want to be well-rounded generalists, for sure. We want to be a well-rounded generalist, or at least 80%. At least 80% of what we're doing should be focused on well-rounded, general, great musicianship. And then some of our time can be spent specializing. You can specialize, yeah. you can play in a solo competition or you can play in your pipe band. Those are specialized things. But of course, we want to
1: be generally good. Andrew, you know what I just realized? That we've been recording Wait. for 80 minutes. Well, there's that. But the other thing is that we dove right into this without reading the Steven Spielberg quote that is oh, at the top of the chapter.
0: Let's. Why don't we uh, end this episode with the quote?
1: Yeah you got your physical book there. Why do, you, do you want to read it off for us? This is from Steven Spielberg.
0: No, I think that's... Uh, you have to read it, don't you? Do you let have me, it? Let me...
1: Uh, I do have it here. <clears throat> let me get into proper voice. Man, um, this is a good quote. Wasn't there a chapter recently that had no quote? There was, yeah. It must have been chapter six or seven, because I think it was pretty recent.
0: Yeah, it was chapter six.
1: This is... Seriously, this, this really is a very good quote. Okay. I
0: know. It makes up for missing a quote in
1: chapter Mm. six. So Steven Spielberg once said, the delicate balance of mentoring someone is not creating them in your own image, but giving them the opportunity to create themselves. Yes. It's a very good one. It reminds me of an Ayn
0: Rand quote about raising children as well which is ironic cuz Ayn Rand never had children but
1: oh. it puts me right in the mind of the Simpsons episode when Maggie goes to the Ayn Rand school for babies <laughs> very yeah. funny but go uh, on
0: <laughs> yeah randians i think are, they were very randy if you know what i'm saying but they didn't procreate that often but anyway like ayn rand would have said that the uh, which by the way i kind of hold in my mind somewhere when, when raising my own children like the idea is not to forge children into a specific image but as a parent your job is to uh, raise them to become independent right allowing Mm -hmm. them to make their own like decisions based on their own rational faculties and i think spielberg is talking about something similar here right it's if he was teaching people to create films and all of his students came out with films that were just basically spielberg ripoffs right right i would consider him a failure as a teacher wouldn't you absolutely which is ironic AF, Jim, in the bagpipe mm-hmm. world, right? Because how many students are, and actually it's a lot better now than maybe 20 years ago, but how many students are just uninteresting carbon copies of their instructors? A lot. I mean, you, you it's, be- it's so about- much better now. It's so much better now. I think the internet has helped so much yeah. and YouTube and everything. People are really... Digging into what they enjoy and allowing it to influence how they sound, but but yeah, ironic. It speaks. In, yeah.
1: yeah, I just, I feel like it speaks very highly of a person to that they would feel secure enough that their interest in teaching a person is to help that person achieve that kind of freedom of expression, not to be like. I need to verify that I'm the best by making sure that everybody else does stuff the way I do it. Right.
0: Exactly. Well, it's a very static, undynamic approach to things. Mm. Yes. Mm. You can think for millions of years, I don't even know. No, millions seems like a lot, but a big number, thousands and thousands and thousands of years, there've been some version of humans around, right? And we have these amazing rational faculties, but it's only extremely recently that we've developed institutions that allow for free thinking and free thought. So I don't think it's a coincidence that we had this problem in the bagpipe world, right? Freedom of thought and a culture of criticism, uh, it's emerging, I think, finally in the bagpipe world, but only sort of. Mm. Like, do you get the feeling that if you criticize certain bagpiping institutions, yourself and all the people
1: you love would be blacklisted forever? No. I don't know if I should say it out loud, yeah, we, but our good let, friend Big Rab is having a heck of a time of it across the pond right now.
0: Yeah, and who knows? Let's not go any. De- I don't think I don't. I think there are probably many institutions, even like local pipe bands, mm-hmm. where it's you just don't question what's going on, and if you do, you're out of line, which is of course not the right thing. We yeah. want people to be questioning, and we want to know. That. I think one of the cool things about top pipe bands is you, when you question, it's you're not like Im- immediately shunned. I remember Terry Lee was so great to work with in that respect. You wouldn't do it during band practice. Like, yo, Terry, why are you doing it this way? But you could talk to him about it later. And you you would say like, Terry, I don't think this is working. And he would, he would often say, actually, bro, it is working. And here's why we do it this way and why you're wrong. And you're like, oh yeah. Okay. But then sometimes, but then he would also, if you did approach him with an intriguing idea, he would instantly like want to know more. These are, these great pipe bands are dynamic mini societies as opposed mm. to static, which by the way, what the hell are we even talking about? Oh yeah. The Steven Spielberg quote. Exactly. Yes. I think there are fundamentals of great filmmaking. Mm. I'm sure it's true. I'm not really a filmmaker, yeah. but uh, I'm sure it's true. And then what you would do is you would teach people to master those fundamentals, but why? Right. And then you do that so that they can then start to create ideas in their own voice.
1: Mm.
0: I had a professor a famous electroacoustic musician named Barry Truax that we studied with at Simon Fraser University, and I, I had a really hard time with him at first because mm. he was just like, no, nope, B minus, nope, nope, nope. And, and eventually, you got the you got the idea, which at first is very insulting. If I don't do it the way he does it, he's not going to give me a good grade. And yeah. and that's just evil, right? I'll tell you what started to happen is I just I decided screw it, I'm just going to do it his way instead of hard headedly insisting on my way all the time. And I did it all my I did it, I started to do it his way, and my grades started to improve. But you know what else? It's like my music started to improve as well, um, and I started to yeah. feel a lot better about it, and I started to have all sorts of new ideas. And what was really going on there is I think we're probably learning the fundamentals mm. of a good composition. And I think in the long run, he's one of my most memorable professors. Mm -hmm. Not the ones who are like, hey, man, yeah, just, yeah, whatever you want to do, buddy. Yeah, go ahead. Those are good teachers in
1: a sense as well. But anyway,
0: yeah. What was the quote again? It was, you you don't want to create people in your own image. You want to let them. Not
1: creating them in your own image, giving them the opportunity to create themselves.
0: Yep. And that's just it, isn't it? It's a hard thing to do. And by the way, students hate it as much as. Teachers might hate it, too. It's like, yeah. wait, it's like, what do you mean I have to make my own decisions? What do you mean you're not just going to give me the
1: fish? It can be such a... It can what do you be mean I have to a, learn a, to fish? You promised you, me that, fish. Is it called a honey trap? I don't know if that's the right word for it, but like such a tempting thing to be like, no, just tell me exactly what I need to do to get the grade or to feel like I'm doing okay, whatever it is, the situation. What is tell a honey exactly trap? What I want to do.
0: Honey trapping is an investigative practice involving the use of romantic or sexual. No,
1: that's, <laughs> that can't be it. I guess that's probably not the right word for it there. <laughs> oh, but anyway, uh, th- but that was Wikipedia. I just meant something that's attractive and it gets you, but it, it's not good for you. It gets you stuck. So maybe that's. Exactly. Fit, no, you but that, you're right. So Cambridge Dictionary says something that is very attractive and attracts a lot of people. Mm. Yeah, so maybe that's applicable. It's easy to point to it in academics. You know, it's like, well, I, right, like, do you want to learn the topic, the subject, yeah. or but do then you want honey to exactly is like which bubbles to fill in to get the grade, right? Exactly.
0: I think honey trapping is the well-known espionage practice of using certain human behaviors as bait to extract information, which is the yeah, same thing. Is. We're talking about the same thing here.
1: We're talking about the same thing. It just, and, one of and, them went like, in, a, in the yeah, wrong direction. This is the danger of doing an unscripted format, right? That Sometimes I say words and phrases and only after do I think to myself, I don't think that was right. Yeah. Maybe
0: shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> that happens yeah. to me regularly. There's no one here at the moment, uh, but this is one of those things, Jim, you record the podcast, later it comes out, you've forgotten what you said. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you end up in a whole bunch of trouble.
1: Oh, ain't that the truth?
0: Hey, everybody. Andrew Douglas here from the Pipers Dojo. And I just want to say thanks so much for listening to today's iteration of the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, it would be super helpful to us and to a lot of bagpipers out there trying to find us. If you could give us a top notch review on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast, particularly. Apple, iTunes and Spotify and things like that, your review would be really, really helpful. So if you have a moment today, definitely go over there and help us out. Other than that, until we meet again on the podcast or somewhere else, thanks again for listening.